This is March 26th, and this is another edition of the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat here on CLNS Media. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. And man, this month just flew by. This is our, our last uh, episode of the month of March, and then we'll be into April, and before you know it, we'll be talking playoff hockey, and uh, that's, that's got me excited. I don't know about you listeners, but that's got me pretty excited, and I'm sure a lot of people around the NHL are starting to look forward to that. We've got some great races going on. Um, and, you know, we played that song coming in, Why Can't We Be Friends, for for a topic that I don't think that, that many in Boston right now uh, are either not aware of or it's just not getting a lot of play with the media here in Boston. So I figured I'd bring in my friend Mike Johnson from NHL Network, and he does work on TSN as well. And he's based in Toronto, and the topic I'm referring to is uh, Mike Babcock and Kyle Dubas uh, apparently having a little, I don't know if you call it a feud, just a, a disagreement. The way I read it was it's a typical coach GM disagreement, but of course, you know, Mike Babcock's got a very strong personality, and sometimes people can misread that, and of course, uh, from the outside, it looked like it took a life of its own in Toronto, uh, and so we need to talk about that now is Mike Johnson. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jimmy, and yeah, what would it be in Toronto if we didn't take a little thing that is maybe more common than uh, we make it and turn it into a big deal because it involves the Leafs and it involves Mike Babcock and Kyle Dubas. And uh, <laughs> it definitely was a thing for, you know, a week, 10 days there. Uh, and maybe something that's probably been festering, perhaps brewing for, for a little while now because these are two strong-willed, strongly opinionated, passionate guys that are in charge of the Leafs. Well, just to, if you can, for our listeners that aren't familiar with what happened, could you just give them a little background on how, where they stem from? Well, I think it maybe even goes all the way back to when the acquisition was made for Jake Muzzin. And, you know, Kyle Dubas traded a first-rounder and got a really high-end player that was available. And, and even upon hearing about that deal, Mike Babcock's reaction was, well, it's not ideal, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. And almost as though, you know, it's okay, but I really would have preferred something different, namely a right-hand shot defenseman uh, as opposed to a left shot in Jake Muzzin. And then after playing against Nashville last week where they lost, playing a pretty good game, but they lost and were shut out, Mike Babcock suggested something to the effect that good teams continue to build their depth so when they have injuries they can plug guys in and not miss a beat. We're not there yet. We don't have that, we don't have that kind of situation. We don't have those players. Basically saying I, I don't have the roster right now, maybe that the Nashville Predators do or maybe that I would like. Uh, because we didn't get the depth either by developing it or by trading for it or by Kyle Dubas acquiring it, um, and, and it was perceived as a bit of a a bit of a shot at Kyle Dubas and the and the group that of players that Kyle Dubas has given Mike Babcock, um, and so that became a talking point for a few days. Kyle Dubas, um, you know, he's a very bright guy. He's young, but he he's been around and he's accomplished and. Uh, Mike Babcock had to answer questions about it, saying he didn't mean to offend anyone, he didn't want to bother anyone, and basically just saying it was not a big deal. I like my team, and, and we'll be okay. But Mike Babcock has a large enough bankroll, but also large enough ego that um, you know he can say stuff like that, even in a market like Toronto, because he is who he is, and not necessarily worry about the repercussions of, of perhaps slighting the general manager where. Generally speaking, the general manager um, 
has a sway over the coach, but Mike Babcock doesn't really operate that way. So it, it was a thing for a week, 10 days. Babcock kind of apologized for it. He also acknowledged that throughout a year, um, there will be blank storms. I don't know if we can swear on this podcast or not. Oh, but, you can swear. And, what you want? Yeah, so there are shift storms. And, and he's like, we're going through one. Not a big deal. Kyle and I talk every day and we're fine. So he, he made it go away, but it has felt that, and I do believe that the way Kyle Dubas sees his team and sees his team's version of being successful is a little bit different than, than Mike Babcock's. And Kyle Dubas wants all skill and all speed, and he doesn't care if the fourth line is a bit of smaller guys. And Mike Babcock tried to play Kyle Dubas's fourth line one game, didn't like what he saw, didn't play him very much, and say, you know, it all sounds good on paper, but it's not so good on the ice. And, you know, different things like that where they just don't necessarily see it the exact same way, which is okay because they've normal. had a pretty good year anyway. Yeah. That's normal. But in Toronto, it's <laughs> not normal because they're struggling. They can't move the puck on their own end anymore yeah. because they have some injuries. And so it becomes a bigger deal than it would in other markets. Well, you know, it's interesting. that The first thing I thought about when I saw this story sort of come out and, 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 and fester and develop the way it did, I, you know, and Elliot Freeman actually pointed this out in his 31 Thoughts. He used this quote, and I really thought of Bill Parcells uh, when he left the Patriots, and he said, yes. you know, if they want you to cook the dinner, at least they ought to let you shop for some of the groceries. It, it, that just kept ringing in my head. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, man, Bruins fans are loving this right now. The Leafs are struggling. We've got a Bill Parcells situation going on up in Toronto. <laughs> and, you know, you look at it, they're, they're headed for a collision course with, with the Bruins in the playoffs, and we all know what happened last year. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, Bruins fans, and even maybe the players too, you've seen the likes of uh, Brad Marchand, uh, and I think there was another Bruins player too. Uh, it might have been, uh, oh, Pasenek. Chirping the Leafs on Twitter uh, more than once mm-hmm. in the past month or so. And I'm just thinking, whoa, man, you know, are things unraveling up there? But, you know, you take a step back like we just did there and like you did when you explained that. And I think it's just, you know, you put it back. I mean, it's it's a shit storm because they were losing, they were struggling, and all of these things sort of came to the forefront. So I ask you now, Mike, you know, it may not look good right now, where the Leafs are headed, and they're going to play the, uh, the Bruins, and the Bruins are playing some unbelievable hockey these days. As I record this, they're getting ready to go into Tampa Bay, where they already beat 4-1 uh, in Boston uh, just under a month ago and showed they can compete with them. Um, I'm wondering, though, should the Bruins, you know, and, and maybe some of the pundits around the league, and, and specifically here in Boston, should they maybe be a little careful, though, you know, to not give the Leafs a little more motivation they needed. Because I saw that, that Pasenek uh, tweet that he had up there, and I was like, hey, dude, talk about bulletin board material, man. Come on. You know, and I'm wondering, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe Bruce Cassidy's going to have a little talk, at least with the players. He can't control what us media say or what the fans say. But yeah. I kind of heed, you know, I kind of say, hey, take a step back, boys. we still got to play the playoff series. It's not one without playing it. What, what's your take on that? Do you think it's? Do you think the Leafs are taking notice of that and, and sort of building it up as motivation? Uh, they take notice, of course, because they're in Toronto, and even if they tried not to take notice, yeah, I would be <laughs> yeah. there asking them what they think of these things. So they're well aware of it. Even Kyle Dubas, the GM, who's actually quite clever on Twitter, yeah, chime back at, at at Brad Marchand in a in a pretty clever way as well. So um, I, I guess this is why we like the playoff format being the way it is because you'll get 
teams like this playing multiple years in a row, and now they'll go back again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess. Uh, this is my take. Maybe this is me, the athlete. You notice when you're, you know, you're getting poked a little bit, whether it's through the media or through sound bites for other players. But the Maple Leafs, just like the Bruins, they don't need any more motivation for the playoffs. They don't need any more dislike, right. animosity. It's the, <laughs> it's, the, it's the playoffs, and, and both are, are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. So I think that's motivation enough. Um, there will certainly be a lot of passion in both markets, on both yeah. teams, w- amongst the players in that series. Um, so I, I don't think it's, you know, it's never advisable. Don't give them any reason to get extra motivated. Don't give them any extra push. But I don't really think anything either side says is going to impact that. That won't result in, in changing how the series plays out. Um, the guys will have to get it done on the ice. And right now, the Leafs, because of their injuries, which are changing right now, Travis Dermott, who is one of the two defensemen that was yeah. hurt, um, looks like he'll be back any day now. Jake Gartner, the other one. Infamously, infamously of the minus, what, 14 last year, game seven. I think it was minus five. Um, he looked like he will be back as well. So the Leafs are shorthanded now, but probably by the playoffs they'll have um, everyone somewhat healthy or at least available to them. So maybe some of those problems will go away for Leafs. And the other big problem for Toronto, for as much as they've scored and as talented as they are, they got about a half dozen forwards they are going through Wicked slumps right now. You yeah. Know, Patrick Marlowe, Kapanen, Kadri, Nylander, pretty good players that they're counting on to score with regularity are all like in one for 15, one for 19, one in 21 kind of slumps. And if that breaks and you get two or three or four of those guys scoring just at the rate that they're expected to, the Toronto Maple Leafs look like a really different team because they will have Marner, they will have Matthews, and they will have John Tavares, and that's the guy they did not have last year. And I think that's what Toronto fans are hoping changes the dynamic against Boston. Because, yes, Game 7 was brutal. But they got to Game 7. Yeah. And they didn't have John Tavares, who's going to have 45 goals and 90 points. And it makes Boston decide, who do we let Bergeron play against? Because whoever Bergeron plays against, it was Matthews last year, that yeah. guy goes away. That's how good Patrice is. He is yeah. the best equalizer we've seen in a decade or more in the NHL. So, I mean, I think at this point, he probably plays against Tavares and Marner. What does that mean for Austin Matthews in this playoff series? He was pretty quiet last year, just one goal in the seven games. It will be his year to be the difference maker if Bergeron draws Tavares. And I think that's that's what these fans are hoping for, that that acquisition changes the dynamic in the playoffs when they play a team like Boston. Well, that's a great segue there because you did And, and by the way, we, we didn't practice this, but he, he brings up Austin Matthews, and that was going to – be my next question. You're right. He he was kind, he was quiet last year in the playoffs, and, and nobody's doubting this kid's a superstar. Nobody's doubting what he will do in the future, and you know how great a player he'll be. But now that they do have Tavares there, and and maybe I'm not, I'm not going to say there's, there's not going to be pressure on him, but maybe there's a little less in terms of focus, both from the opponent and from the media and the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Do you think this is a time – like, and you, you brought up another good point there, too. I'll, I'll kind of combine the two. You're talking about, you know, they've got their guys back. They've all been in scoring slumps at once. And usually when it rains, it pours. That also goes the other way, right? They catch that one yep. game where they just unload and, boom, they're back and they get on a roll. That's why I'm trying to say, like, and that's where I started off, is that, you know, careful what you say here, Bruins or Bruins fans or whatever, because – 
I'd rather my team be in a slump right now when everything's locked in. It doesn't really matter, right? I mean, obviously you're fighting for home advantage, but I, I don't, if you're going to hit a slump, I'd rather be it now than two weeks from now, and maybe the Leafs catch that game they need and they, they get that second win and they carry that into the playoffs. But more specifically, Matthews, is he looking – after that experience he had there, and I think – you know what, Mike? Honestly, I think in the long run, that seven-game series – will probably be part of what makes Austin Matthews the star he becomes in this league because it was such a learning experience, you know, and they, they, they get it. Uh, they, they force a game seven, but then they have heartbreak there in game seven. Is he looking at this? I, I don't want to say – you were a former player. I know you played in Toronto. And you also played in a big market like Montreal. But is he – is it hard for him not to look at this and say, this is my chance to answer the bell from last year, and this is my chance to really – cement my name and say, you know what, I am what everyone thinks I am. Yes, yeah, it, it absolutely is. And it's, if you know Austin, and I know him a little bit from being yep. around Toronto and different events and whatever, um, he's quiet in the sense he's kind of reserved around the media, but he is he's a competitor. driven. Oh. Yeah, like he's driven like all the great players are, right? He's got a massive healthy ego, you know, that demands excellence and, and is really bothered when he doesn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't do what he's done his entire life last year in the playoffs. So I think the shared spotlight of Marner and Tavares, and even Morgan Riley for that matter, this year has probably helped him because he, he's had a whole bunch of different line mates and he's gone through some injuries this year. But while everyone is struggling on the lease, or a lot of guys, he's not. The last 10 days, he has played better than probably he ever has in his life in the NHL, uh-huh. and, and that's a scary thing, and listen, he signed that big contract, he deserved it, he's going to get his money, but he knows that he will be judged in many ways by what he does in April, not by what he does during the regular season, because he's already shown he'll get you 40 goals and 90 points the regular season, that's great, that gets him the money and the contract and the adulation, if you want to be separated into the all-time Toronto Maple Leaf, great, which maybe that's a shorter list given some of their lack of playoff success. It's in the spring. It's in the playoffs. It's taking the team deep. And I think the one thing the Toronto players have been good about acknowledging while not focusing on is this is probably the best roster they'll ever have going into the playoffs. Because next year when Marner gets his 10 mil and Matthews 10 million kicks in, good players are going to have to leave. And whether that's Jake Gardner or whether that's Kapanen or Nylander or whoever it ends up being, their roster probably won't be ever quite as deep and complete as it is game one of this year's playoffs. So there is, while these guys are all young, there is pressure. There's pressure to take advantage of an opportunity with a good team, even though they're playing against a better team, um, to, to do something good in the playoffs. And, and, and Matthews was so neutered last year by Bergeron, so locked down. Yeah. I don't think we saw the kind of impact he could have on a series, and, and I'll be fascinating to watch. But while you say it's, you know, maybe less pressure, I also think because of what happened last year, there's also maybe a little bit more yeah. for him to make sure that if he's not getting Bergeron, if he's playing against Krejci or he's playing against Coyle or one of those guys, he has to win that matchup by a landslide. Uh-huh. Not by a little bit, by a landslide for Toronto to be successful. And there's pressure involved in those kind of expectations. You, you know, you bring it up there, and it's interesting, whether he plays against Krejci or Coyle. I don't know if you've been paying attention here, but Don Sweeney's still getting a lot of flack right now about that Coyle for Ryan Donato 
uh, trade because, you know, Bruins fans see what Donato's done since, he got, since he's gone there. He's been lighting the lamp a lot. But, sure. you know, he, he's a streaky guy. I mean, that's how he was in Boston, and I'm sure the streaks are going to go the other way. But if people look at Coyle right now, and the average fan that probably doesn't watch the game as much is saying, well, where's the points? Where's the goals? And I thought this guy was going to make us deeper up the middle. I reply with that, and I say, are you, are you guys not watching what he's doing besides points in the, in the sense that he is making them deeper up the middle and he's giving Bruce Cassidy more options with the, the top nine there? And, and also, you know, if you watch Coyle throughout his career, his probably greatest strength is his puck possession. And mm-hmm. he's keeping that third line on the ice longer than they had been when they had a Donato or something like that. And he's, he's keeping them on the ice long, which gives – Guys like Bergeron and Krejci a little rest. So I guess, you know, going back to what you were saying there about the whole center position, how, how much do you think that helps the Bruins? I won't. I don't know if they're necessarily deeper because I think Tavares, Matthews, Cadre is pretty damn deep up the middle. But how mm-hmm. much from afar have you seen Coyle help the center position for the Bruins? Uh, well, he, for all the Boston fans out there, you got to go apples to apples. Like, Charlie Coyle's not being asked to score points. He's not really being yeah. in a position to score points, right? He's not going on the power play very often. He's not playing in, like, offensive situations. Whereas Donato in Minnesota, is, he, that's all he's doing. He's playing, you yeah. know, four and fours and power plays and late in games when they need offense because that's what they need in Minnesota. That's not what they need out of their centermen in Boston. They got yeah. Bergeron. They got Krejci who – when he's good, man, he's really good, and he's been good as of late. Feels like he's rejuvenated um, the last couple of weeks, which is a scary proposition for anyone they play in the playoffs. So, um, <laughs> if you, you know what coach are like, Jimmy, coaches like guys they can depend on, where they know what they're going to get, yeah. and that's why they didn't like Donato because sometimes it was really good, but then when it wasn't so good, it was quite a bit worse. With Charlie Coyle, maybe the offensive uh, upside is not quite as high as Donato's, but the defensive low, lower side. Is, is better. And so I think if, if Cassidy can count on him and say they're in the road and they're playing in Toronto in game four, he doesn't have to worry about Coyle getting matched up out there against Austin Matthews in a defensive zone faceoff. There's value in that. And if he can play and not be taken advantage of, he's got the size, he has the strength, the defensive awareness, because in Minnesota everyone plays pretty good defense, then there's value in that because he's not really being required to score. So when he just chips in, is solid, steady, can kill penalties, be a big body not get scored on, try to be a positive goal guy, chance guy, drive play a little bit. You don't have to worry about the points because that's not how the Bruins are constructed right now. Um, so I think you can't just compare by points, you, you know, Donato's 15th to Coyle's three or whatever it is um, because that's not – they're not being asked to do the same thing. Now, Charlie Coyle will tell you he'd like to score more. He wants to play in the power play, and he probably has more offensive skills than he has shown so far in Boston. But he's trying to carve out a role and earn the trust of the coach, and that will come for him right now in being good defensively. So when you get Johansson back, he almost forgets he plays for Boston. Given that he was hurt, you know, because he was looking pretty good with with Krejci there on the second yeah. line. If you get Johansson back, all of a sudden you add to that depth again, and Heinen can play on the third line. And, you know, Bacchus is up and down. Who knows whatever he's going to do? But now you can go one, two, three, and feel comfortable going Tavares, Cadre, Matthews in that first round, and not worry about your matchups on the road. Yep. That's a different look. That's something they did not have until they had Charlie Coyle. Yeah, it's true. And, and that's, I get it. Hey, we all we all love points. We all love goals, right? I mean, that's that's the Yeah, point. we do. We get paid for them. That's all we care about, for sure. Yeah, right? But but at the same time, you know, 
you got to look at the big picture. And, and I, I just remember I was lucky enough to cover the Bruins during that cup run in 2011. And, and just the way that Claude Julian was able to roll those four lines and, and the attributes that each line brought, not just offensively, but defensively. And, and that's why I'm, I'm looking at Cole and I'm, I'm, I'm patient. You know, and I look at him and I say, Dude, guys, the guy's only been here a couple of weeks. I mean, let him fit in. Yeah. And that's the things that he's doing right now to me. And like you just said, those are the type of things that win in the playoffs. It's You've got your top six guys. Those are going to be the guys that are going to score for you. Do you want more depth scoring in the bottom six? Of course you do. But we don't need the guy to score 30 goals. You know, I mean, it's just what it is. So I, I just think people need to take a step back when it comes to that, you know, because I think the kid's a good kid. And, man, he's got some hands. He can pass. He's re- he's really underrated. Yeah, he, he is. I will only say this. that He's probably played in the NHL, what, now, five years? Right. And, and he, you know, he's shown himself to be kind of what he is, which is skilled for sure. Yeah. But, you know, he is plagued by a little bit of inconsistency offensively, even more so than just the general guys who, who you know, everyone's a little bit inconsistent offensively. But, um, you know, he'll, he'll show, he'll tease you with that great skill. And, yeah. and, and, and his finish is, you know, you'll see him on a, on a shootout or a, um, you know, a breakaway, you're like, oh, my God, where is that guy? He's got some sick hands. But then you watch the game and it doesn't always translate. I think there is an element of that in his game where he might always leave you wanting a little bit more because yeah. you see the kind of package of the size and the hands and it doesn't translate into 25 goals and 60 points every year. But he's a positive possession player. He starts in his own end and an awful lot. He's a big guy. Um, you know, he, he's he's doing what he's asked to do. But I don't know, even if he does settle in, like I think he settles into around 20 goals, around 45, 50 points is a good year. Uh-huh. And there's lots, lots of value in that for a big guy in your third line when they have the guys above him for the next couple of years that are that are capable of providing the offense that maybe he doesn't. And to link it back to trading Donato that they're getting faster, oh, my God, you gave up on another young player, you gave away scoring. They also have a ton of talent coming. And I think that's one of the things, too, that I think Don Sweeney saw making that deal was like, look, I've got a lot of Ryan Donato's coming. Maybe guys that are going to be better than him, you know, that, mm-hmm. that are already there, that, he, you know, he was struggling to play with in Providence. I've got those guys coming, so I can afford to make a trade for need as opposed to scoring right now because not only do I have it on the current roster, I likely have it coming in the, the next two to five years. So I, I think that's where his reasoning was. Hey, Mike. I'm well, gonna, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. He knows his, he, he knows his system, right? Like, I don't know Honors Bjork. I don't know how he's done down there, or Forrest Bacher, Carlson, or he, Frederick, he, or he's been hurt. All you time. know, Sid any of those guys that are kind of their 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 prospects. Like, I don't know how good they'll be. He does, and right. and, and he also knows he's got Marshan and Pasternak kicking around, and, and Jake DeBrusque. So if Donato needs to play a top six wing spot. There appears to be one available maybe on the second line going forward in the future for Boston, but if you can answer a need for this year, because there's also the element of how much longer is this Boston team? I know Charles resigned another year, but, you know, what's their window? Is it, is it a couple more years? I know Bergeron is having a fountain of youth season, and I could spend an hour talking about how much I like him as a player. <laughs> but at some point, even the great Patrice Bergeron will age a little bit. Krejci's going to be 33 um, you know, back is older, Marchand's in his 30s. At some point, these guys will slow down. And so the window for Boston to win a cup with this group, Tuca, the rest of them, has got to be two years, maybe yeah. three. 
And so, you know, you can, you maybe, you, you roll the dice a little bit and maybe Donato turns into a, a solid score, but that's okay because you're also taking a swing this year, one of the two, three years where you have a chance to actually hit the home run and, and win another Stanley Cup. I'm totally with you on that. Hey, listen, I got to do, I got to do a quick live read, Mike, but we'll tie it into our, our final question here because I think it'll be interesting for our listeners. Uh, betonline.ag, March Madness is upon us and it's another huge month in sports across the NBA and NCAA. There's only one, and of course the NHL as well. There's only one place to get in on all this action. Betonline.ag. Support our podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash win and use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off a sign up bonus. That's CLNS50, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. So looking at that right now, I've got the page up right now, Mike, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of looking at some of these futures. And, you know, a fun thing to do sometimes this time of year is to, to put a little money on teams to win the conference or the Stanley Cup and, and, and maybe take some of those not necessarily long shots like I did mm-hmm. with the, like I did with the Vegas Golden Knights last year, by the way, Mike. Ooh, to win or to get to the final? To win it all. Oh, you're so close. I, I was so close. When did you make the bet, though? Did you bet in, like, October, November? Or did you I, do made it in it, April? Uh, I was out in Vegas in the end of September, and I made it then for the hell of it. Oh, yeah, that would have been two hundred, no, nah, hundred, hundred to one. Yep. No, no, I got four hundred to one. Four hundred to one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It would have been nice. I was, a, I was a very big Golden Knights fan for a while, but uh, nobody you... sold the ticket when they got to the final. Yeah. Take yeah, fifty to one and get out of there. Well, hey, by the way, speaking of, so as we're saying this right now, I mean, who's some dark horses for you? The Golden Knights are a team that people kind of stopped talking about, but right now they're one of the hottest teams in the NHL. Who are some teams that you're looking at that, that could surprise? We know all the favorites, but what are some of the teams you kind of, you know, uh, I never know about that team. So Vegas, I think, jumps to mind right away. And maybe at this point they should be considered a favorite, Jimmy, because the way they're playing. I mean, they've lost two yeah. games since Mark Stone showed up. Um, you know, Fleury's having another good year. Their offensive depth is kind of rounding into form. They're getting it done with those defense. They're playing like they did last year, that kind of relentless forecheck. Correct. And with San Jose being banged up in the first round and the San Jose not having matched up well against Vegas in the first round, like, if you go through the Pacific, you're going to go through Martin Jones has had, like, a miserable season. San Jose's goaltending is the worst in the NHL, and you get them in the first round. You go to Calgary, presumably, after that, and you get Mike Smith or David Riddick. It, it wouldn't surprise anybody to see Vegas back in the conference final, and once you get that far, anything can happen. So Vegas, maybe it's not such a sneaky dark horse pick, but... Oh, that would be one I would I would look right at now. for sure. You could get him at plus twelve hundred right now, Mike. Really? All the nights over at BetOnline.ag. Okay, and then what do we have for the Dallas Stars? What would they be? They are because hard. Dallas right now, if they get wild card one, they'll get Winnipeg, who's a who's a tough matchup, but they got some injuries on their side. Ben Bishop is having an incredible season, and I think there's more offense to be had between Sagan and Radulov and and Jamie Benn and Zuccarello likely back to start the playoffs. Nice. Could they scare Winnipeg with their defensive game and then go a little bit deeper through the through the central, which is maybe not quite as strong as it was last year? What's Dallas at? That would got to be good odds. For They're them, at no? forty to one right now. I like that. So hey, it's worth throwing a nice fifty dollars on. You never know. Exactly, exactly. So for the West, I would probably look at those two teams kind of further down the line that that could scare someone. Okay. In the East, I mean, Tampa, Boston, even Toronto, I think, are all kind of favorites. Right. The one team that might surprise you, if, now this is, feels like a monstrous if, but I've said it all year long, if Carolina gets goaltending, and I, I don't know how McElhaney's doing it, 
I don't know if Peter Morazic's doing it, but they're doing it. And if they get good goaltending, then they are scary because they, they do a lot of things really well. They out-shoot, out-chance, all that kind of stuff. They got to stop. Well, listen, their March Madness one with Trevor Van Riemsdyk calling out the high-screen awesome. role was – I loved it. It was incredible. Yeah. So, like, and, and, and the Metro, while good, and, you know, we know the, the history of Washington and, and Pittsburgh, it, does it seem – it's not murderer's row anymore. Like, if you got to go in there, they might even get the Islanders in the first round. Yeah. Given the way the standing. So, I mean, you know, could they beat the Islanders and play one of Wash or Pittsburgh and get through it? As far as looking for odds and a dark horse, they must have. What They they, they would be worth a, a 50 on that. And they might be – they got to be 40 or 50 to 1 as well, don't they? They're currently 65 to 1. Oh, there yeah. we go. So, I would look to them uh, as a chance. Like, you know, I cover Montreal a lot. You know, I played there. Boston always has a – a certain place in their heart for the Canadians. Yep. I don't see them good. I don't see them being good enough to make a deep, deep run. They may make the playoffs, but I don't see them, you know, pushing into the third yeah. round. No matter how good Carey Price is, they just they yeah. just don't score well enough. But Carolina is different. Carolina, to me, um, you know, if they get the goaltending, which is an if, um, I just I think they they could they could scare some teams for the Metro. You get through the Atlantic, it's just it's just Tampa's so good. I think Tampa will roll over. Montreal in short order um, in preparation for Boston or Toronto. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, mean, I like the Carolina pick there, too. They, I mean, it's something, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy and maybe I, I you know, you, you've been a player and you, you've been on the inside there, but from the outside, sometimes you can just see, uh, I don't know how to describe it, like a, just a feeling developing around a team and like a yeah. vibe, right? And we've seen Cinderella teams kind of harness that in the past, and I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. Carolina looks to have that vibe right now, if you ask me. They, it feels like they got something special going on. And, it's, and, it's, and you know what? I am analytically inclined. I like numbers. I am wired that way before I got into this business. I am now as well. Uh-huh. But I think you have to allow that there are moments where there's things that uh-huh. you have a hard time measuring. Yep. As far as chemistry and momentum and belief and friendship and buy-in and all these different things, which – you know, are tough to put a numerical value to, but it happens. It, it just it happens sometimes. And so, you know, maybe Carolina's got something like that happening this year. So so we'll see because I think the Metro is gettable. Yeah. Still has to probably go through Washington, but none of those teams feel quite as scary as they did the last few years. Yeah, it's going to be great stuff. I'm looking for I can't wait for the playoffs to start. It's my favorite time of year. And we got baseball coming back here in, in Boston. Uh, Fenway Park will be going again. So we're. Well, what about Gronk? You got to be. You got to be in mourning over Gronk. You no, know I am. But you know what? I mean, honestly, because you know he's coming back anyways after games. Exactly. <laughs> you know he is. Come on, man. He's too young to be retired. Give me a break. He's just taking some time for his body and his life, and he's. Yep. Just, the, only, the only thing I wonder about that, though, Jimmy, is like as a former athlete. Never, obviously, the talent of, of, of Gronkowski, but like at some point you have to commit to being in, in game shape. Yeah. So you can, like, lift weights and kind of be in shape, but it's different okay. to do that than to be in, like, I would imagine, football playing shape and having those kind of impacts. So, um, you know, if he wants 10 weeks off and then get ready for it, he's not going to get 10 weeks off because you got to be training, I would assume, for a couple months just to get yourself in that kind of shape. But you know what? He's a, he's a freak physically, so maybe he just he's, he goes old school and uses – like training camp like they used to in the 70s, like show up and get in shape while he's playing like week nine against the Bills because that's an easy matchup for him. I don't know, but um, feels like we haven't seen the last of him just yet. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, one more question because you made me think of something there. 
you talk about, you know, game shape being so much different and, and, and sort of that mentality as well, the mental part of it. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of make a comparison to the, the basketball team here, the Celtics, and kind of draw it back to hockey. Kyrie Irving a week ago goes on record, and, and man, he's, he's interesting. He, don't get me wrong. I think he's one of the best players in the league. He's an amazing mm-hmm. talent. But some of the things he says, if I'm the coach of the GA, I'm just like, shut the hell up, dude. Like, well, that's what Brad Stevens wants to say now. He's had enough of it. Yeah, and he said last week, hey, we don't need to play down the stretch. We don't need to worry about seeding. Uh, we can just take take the rest of the season off. We'll turn it on in the playoffs. You were a pro athlete. It, it, mm-hmm. I don't think that's possible. Am I wrong? Uh, no, not, not, now maybe Kyrie is different. Like basketball is a different sport in that it's such an individually based sport. Like a couple of stars make such a big difference. Like you you can't take the best player, i.e. Connor McDavid and put him on a bad team and expect to be successful. You can take a bad basketball team, put a star basketball player on them and that's enough to to make a difference. So maybe for Kyrie and the Celtics with that roster, which is really quite deep and scares all us Toronto Raptor fans, um, Maybe maybe it is true, but no. Like the flip the switch thing, there's for most athletes, there's a level of intensity and mental engagement that can't just be turned on. It has to be built up and, and escalate to the level it takes to be successful in the playoffs. Now maybe it's basketball different. Kyrie certainly is a different cat altogether, but um, that doesn't work in hockey. You can't kind of coast and then flip the switch. It's just too hard. Uh, I would imagine in some ways basketball will be the same. More so for Boston when I watch the Celts play because I am a big basketball guy. Um, they, they, it's not about taking the time off. they got to worry about their continuity and how to play defense because they don't play defense very well. No. And that takes work, and that takes teamwork. You, you can score individually on the other end, but you got to defend as a group. And so, Kyrie, if I was Brad Stevens, like, listen, man, you don't want to play on the offensive end, that's okay. We let Jalen Brown take more shots, Terry Rozier, whoever. But you got to commit to playing defense as a group like everyone does because if we don't do that, we're going nowhere in the playoffs, no matter how talented we think we are. And, and you got to not – I'm just looking at it. Maybe I'm old school, but they, they clearly look at him as a leader, right? It's, it's clear that those young kids, you know, kind of fall suit. I mean, and that's why they had a lot of issues this year because yeah, – You know what, Jimmy? Not Just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're cut out to be a good leader. And not even talking about Kyrie, but in any sport, right? You know that. Like, you always want to thrust that on the best guy because – you know, that's what we traditionally have associated the, the captains or the leaders as. But some guys are not meant to lead. Some guys don't have the personality. They don't interact well with others. They can't empathize with what other people are going through because it's not the same experience that they have. Some stars are not meant to lead. And I watch Kyrie Irving and I watch his interactions on the court and in the media, and I'm like, that guy's a sick basketball player. I'm not sure if he's a guy you want kind of, patrolling the locker room the way Zidane Chara does. Like, I would happy to have Chara run my room all day, all night right? over Kyrie Irving, even though Irving's, you know, a more talented player at this point in his career. It's, you, can't, you can't always be a leader, even though you're the best player. Yeah, but I just look at too, and then, like, the, the problem is, though, that's how these kids on that team view it. And if I'm Brad Stevens, like, look, man, I, you might be exactly right. You, like, like you just said, Mike, maybe Brad Stevens says to him, like, look, Buddy, I know you can probably turn it on, but not all these kids can. And when they, you say exactly. that, that's, that go, they take that to heart. So just don't say anything. That's the best thing you can do. Just, you know, just play, play the game with the media and don't, don't say that. And then I look at it, too, and I know this from a gambling standpoint. The NBA, if there's one sport 
in, in other four pro sports, Mike, that home advantage matters in the playoffs. It's the NBA. If you get home, yep. you're almost a lock to win the series. I don't know what the stats are, but I'm, I'm willing to bet they're, they're pretty high that the home team wins. They are. And I think, I think it's, they get the calls more often at home. I think the refs are influenced by the, by the sound of the rink. And they yeah. also, for whatever reason, like, there's a comfort level there. Like, I know, like, the Raptors shoot way better at home than on the road. There you go. So, so the same it, thing it, it's true. nuts, right? I mean, like, seating does matter in the NBA. Of course it matters. You're going to play a, have a harder road to get through to the final. It's, oh. it's, it's, it's obnoxious to say that. But uh, I guess when you have as much talent as he does. Now, he's not going to be there next year anyway. Does he, isn't he leaving? Yeah. I know. We'll see what happens. But you know what? I still think it's going to be a fun spring with them, the Red Sox, and the Bruins mm-hmm. here. Uh, will you be? Do you know your playoff assignments yet? I don't know them just yet. Uh, we have to wait for seedings. Uh, you know, the last few years I've done the first round with NBC, so we'll see what happens. Although generally I go out west, I'll do some TSN stuff, I'll do some NHL Network stuff. Jimmy, you guys go far enough, I'll find my way to Boston. Don't you worry about it. Of course, and you know what? If you do, I'll work on some Red Sox tickets for you, all right? Perfect. Sounds good, my friend. Maybe they'll be playing the Jays. We'll see. Hey, listen, Mike, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Love your work. Keep it up, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line, all right? All right, Paul, thanks for having me. We'll talk to you again. All right, that's Mike Johnson, NHL Network, TSN, NBC. He's all over the place. He does a great job analyzing the NHL. And he's based here in Toronto. It's great to get his perspective on the team. We'll be playing again in the first round. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of Boom Team here. If there's a goal that everyone remembers,